Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I am Cade Webb and as always I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, it's good to have you back, sir. Welcome. Yes, a uh, little little break for me on vacay, but you and uh, Cameron held it down in my absence, so appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, how's it going? It's going good. I made the joke uh, when you leave and two webmen take over the podcast. It, I mean, the collective IQ drops forty points. Uh, I mean, you the jokes write themselves for sure. But uh, it looked like a great vacation. We're glad to have you back. We're glad to have your brain back. We're also glad to be joined this week by Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com and America's War Game to help us preview the Texas Longhorns. Continuing on our conference preview series, Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good to have you. Uh, I mean, Texas, super interesting this this season. Um, coming off a disappointing year, I, I think most of us would say, by their standards. But they're bringing in a lot of interesting talent. We'll get to all of that. I mean, just your overall perception of them entering the season before we get into the preview here. Um, it's a classic um, year two. Like we should be seeing it this year if it's going to happen for Sark. Um, he's had a year to get the lay of the land and adjust and figure out what needed to be changed. And he definitely made a couple of big changes. So we'll see how it goes. I, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism about Texas, potentially, you know, big 12 championship kind of season. And, uh, but, you know, everybody knows Texas now. It always seems like they should theoretically have the talent. I think usually they don't actually have as much talent as people think in this year, I think might be different, but um, <clears throat> we'll see, you know, we'll see. That's always my year. question with Texas. Go ahead, Dustin. I was just going to say, I, I think, that fits, I think, Kate, you were maybe going to go this way. That kind of fits my thoughts on how Texas is going into this season. A lot of good skill players. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see what they can do this year. I know, like you said, there's, there's always a lot of hype with Texas, with the recruits they get, you know, just being the Texas Longhorn football program. But this year, speaking of those skill players, the main guy I wanted to get to first, since we're going to start with the offense, Bijan Robinson, I mean, is he – is he going to be the focal point of the offense this year? I know they had some issue and you write about it going to 12 personnel last year, trying to use that power run game and they struggled at times. I, they had a lot of success against teams like TCU, but they did struggle. Are they going to try to do something like that again this year? I know we haven't talked about quarterback yet, but is Bijan the focal point of the offense? I, I think he's going to be really involved um he might have a little more variety to what is asked of him he's a remarkably good receiver he can flex out and catch the ball like i i mean there are very few guys that are as good at him as at doing that so um i think he's going to be very important to the offense i think he's going to do some of that i don't know if his numbers will be like a uh, heisman all-time great season unless uh, Texas is good throwing the ball. And he just happens into open running lanes because teams are worried about covering up the receivers. Um, but I think that may actually happen. So he may, I, he may be less of an emphasis than last year, but have much better numbers um, in the run game and in the pass game. He'll be 
a bigger emphasis, but that's not really what people think of with running backs, you know, it'll be a little different. I mean, if he's going to achieve that too, I mean, starting with the offensive line for me, it's, it's got to start there for Texas. Obviously quarterback play has to follow too. Does it though? You know, if you guys, Oklahoma state guys, didn't Jalen Warren run for like 1500 yards behind like a walk-on last year? <laughs> sure. Well, that is I'm, very I'm true. Headed, Ian, is, you know, obviously the talk of the NIL program at Texas for the offensive line specifically gets a lot of attention in the off season. Break down the offensive line for us. Who are they bringing back? Who do we not know that we need to keep an eye out for going into this season? Um, you know, I'll, I'll circle back to that last one. So they have uh, basically three starters back. The center, one of the guards, and the left tackle are all back. The left tackle will not be the left tackle next year, Christian Jones. They'll slide him over to the right. We'll see if he even holds on to his job or not. He's a really good run blocker. He looks like an NFL guy, but when he's going backwards, he looks like, well, I was going to say like a Kansas guy, but maybe I shouldn't go there. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> um, he's, uh, he's just not very, he's not very good at pass setting, or he hasn't been. Then they have a guy named Andre Karic. Wait, no, that's not how you pronounce it. Karic, that's how he pronounces it. Um, Karic is a little bit undersized tackle, former blue chip. He'll be like a third year player. Couldn't quite steal a starting tackle job last year and he's back. He might end up being the left tackle. Uh, if he can hold off these, you know, five-star freshmen coming in. And he was and, out uh, in spring, right? Uh, he was out in the spring game. Okay. Uh, they they just kind of held him out the last week of spring for an ankle deal. Not a serious deal, but just like a we're not going to risk it kind of deal. Um, and then they have this guy, Hayden Connor, who was one of the only guys they signed in the transition class. And he's massive. He played left tackle in the spring game. He looked pretty good there. He'll probably be a starting guard. Um, so they have like he played a little bit last year. They have like four and a half or three and three quarters returning starters from last year for better or worse. <laughs> um, really the, some of the better players in the line last year are back. And then, and then obviously they have all the incoming star freshmen and uh, they were able to get that, you know, there's the new NCAA rule where they were able to get more time with the freshmen in the, in the summer and go through drills and stuff. So, you know, they were all about that, trying to get some of these guys ready to play. And um, you would probably set the over-under on freshmen starting by the end of the year at like one and a half. Who do you think it's going to be? Is it, is it, I mean, is Kelvin Banks probably the, the name to look for there? Do you think one of the other guys could step in? If, if you had to pick one freshman that's starting by the end of the year, who do you think it would be? I would pick Devin Campbell. Okay. Kelvin Banks, I think, is the guy that gets the – I mean, Texas wasn't great back last year. And the one guy that was pretty good graduated. Um, so Kelvin Banks is the obvious guy, just like play this phenom five-star. But I think there's actually a chance that Carrick has grown enough that he may actually be pretty good. Um, there was a time when he was a pretty intriguing blue chip in his own, you know, in his own right. So I, I don't totally know if Banks will be the guy, but Devin Campbell, like NFL scouts come to Austin and they're like, Banks, these two dudes are 
different kind of players than everybody else. Um, I'm also really high on Cameron Williams. I don't know if you guys know about him. No, I, I don't know much about him. We had a picture of him on Inside Texas where he's like on the DKR field holding a helmet and he's palming it. <laughs> he's like 6'7", 360, and he can dunk. Oh, God. Out of Duncanville. It's like a sort of a, a newer Texas powerhouse. Um, being a powerhouse is new for them. It's an old school. And uh, he's just a he's just a freak. I think he was like a high three or a low four star. Maybe people were a little worried he was too heavy, but that guy, I mean, he looks like Phil Lodeholt or Orlando Brown or those kind of guys that Oklahoma always has. Um, I don't know if he'll play this year, but I would if if you're going to ask me for the most sure thing tackle, I might say him over Banks because it's just hard to be that big and move that easily and not be pretty good. We talked a little bit about the offensive line. We talked a little bit about the running back position, even though we skipped over Roshan Johnson, who looked awesome in the spring game. He had a one stiff arm kind of early on, just like pummeled the dude. But along with those guys, some of the other threats, wide receivers and tight ends, we know about Xavier Worthy. We've heard about the Wyoming transfer, Isaiah Nair. He had, a, he had the big touchdown catch in the spring game as well. Who else at the wide receiver and tight end position? And you could start with wide receiver and then we can go to tight end. What are some other names we're going to watch for? And along with that, who do you expect to be kind of the main guy? I think we know Worthy's name, but is he that guy again this year? It could be Nayor. Um, Nayor may steal that top job this year. We'll see. I, I think Worthy is the best guy, but, um, you know, we'll see. He has a little bit of they have some room for him to actually have a sophomore slump and get away with it because of Nayor is also kind of a downfield threat. Um, Jordan Whittington was uh, potentially going to have an amazing year last year, and he broke his collarbone diving for an errant pass from Casey Thompson when Casey Thompson was like trying to jump and throw the ball to escape Nick Bonito in the Red River shootout. Just I think a, I remember that. Yeah, I bet. And um, <laughs> he wasn't the same again for the rest of the year, obviously, broken collarbone. So he's, a, he's actually really good, former five-star in his own right. Um, he's been great in the – he seems like he's faster now than he used to be. Uh, when he first arrived at Texas, he was dealing with a hernia for a long time. He's just always injured, always been injured, and just has never put it together. I think this is his fourth year at Texas. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, so we thought he might be the best guy last year and Worthy kind of stole that honor. He might be very good. Um, they also added a Jai Hall from Alabama. I think a Jai Hall played for like, if I'm right, is something like five high schools for four years. He transferred from Alabama, and Nick Saban was kind of just ready to chase him out, it sounded like. But uh, at the same time, he was like one of the most talented guys, a receiver for Alabama. Uh, they, they were saying something. Yeah, I was saying something. They thought, um, they thought he might be one of the better guys last year, and um, or behind maybe behind Jameson Williams and uh, and John Mechie. <clears throat> so. I don't know if they can count on him or not. 
for the aforementioned reasons, but he is a freakish talent for sure. They have a Brennan Thompson is a freshman that ran like a 10 to 100 meter in high school. Oklahoma state fans are really familiar with him. We wanted him real bad. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Obvious fit for what Sark wants to do. They have a lot of talent. They got Tariq Milton from Iowa state who I figured was kind of washed, but early reports say that his speed is there. So um, I don't know. Maybe we'll see a little bit of him too. They have loads and loads of talent. Loads of guys that can get downfield and get behind you. Um, as as I was looking at this unit, it was one that I mean, I would I would put Texas's wide receivers up against like an Oklahoma State defensive line. Some of the top units, just in terms of depth in the conference. I mean, you. I was wondering if you were going to throw Tariq Milton in there because yeah, like a couple of seasons, not great but he was a 700 yard receiver back in 2019. Um, so he's yeah. shown he can do it. You add him to the mix. And I, I, again, I really like Texas's receivers and Jordan Whittington. I love that you let off with him because I feel like even Xavier worthy just nationally steals the spotlight. But Jordan Whittington was fantastic before he got hurt. Um, they're, they're loaded for sure. Yeah. Tight end. Also, they got a Gunnar Helms, a big blocker. They got another problem child from Alabama and Jaleel Billingsley. And then a former five-star Jaleel, uh, not former five-star Jatavian Sanders. Um, great route runner, amazing hands. And they were like, well, you gotta learn to block if you want to play. And then he came in and was one of their better blockers. So they kind of figured that out pretty fast. So they're kind of loaded there too. Like the big question in Texas is like, do you play 20 personnel and, and get Rashawn on the field with uh, Bijan? Do you play 10 personnel so you can get a Jai Hall and Tariq Milton out there? Do you play 12 personnel so you can get Jatavian Sanders and then flex out Jaleel Billingsley where he doesn't have to block as much? And let There's no bad answer. Yeah, those, um, are, those are good problems. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it, it's pretty hard to game plan for because it's like – assuming that they can be proficient enough in all those packages and have enough carryover, right? Where they're not right. jack of all trades, master and none, when it's like, you should be a master of a couple of trades, this much talent. If they can figure it all out. It's going to be a big problem for teams to game plan. Oh, hundred percent. And you're, you're pretty high on Jatavian Sanders, right? I saw you did like a little two-part article oh, about yeah. the different ways Texas could use him. So you think he's going to be the guy at tight end? Yeah, I think he'll be the primary inline tight end and uh, they could bring in Gunnar Helm to block at H back like uh, one of your glorified cowboy backs what do you, <laughs> what do you call the, the guys that are like a high school lineman and they're like give them a tackle eligible jersey um, or they could um, you know bring in Billingsley well I mean Ian I think the question everybody's asking to to from the outside looking in too I mean is it's Quinn Ewers, right? Obviously, it's Quinn Ewers. Is he going to be what puts Texas over the top offensively? Because, again, I, I think they've had loads of talent. They've added a lot for sure. But, I mean, is Quinn Ewers the missing piece? It super matters, honestly. They, I think they have so much receiving talent. They just need somebody that can throw the ball where Sark tells them to. Um, that said, Quinn Ewers can make every throw on the field. So it really makes it easy if you can just put Mayor on one side, Worthy on the other, 
and then occupy the middle with, you know, whatever, Whittington, second tight end, Roshan, and then Bijan in the run game. It's just impossible, right? Like there's going to be something that you have to leave open. And most teams would be like, well, let's leave open the throw that most quarterbacks can't make. But yours can make whatever throw that is you're thinking of, yours can make it. So if you give him simple reads, that's just not going to work. So, I, I mean, I think it'll be Quinn yours for a lot of reasons. One of them is just that his arm talent makes – it's going to make it – his arm talent with the skill talent is going to make it extremely easy to apply stress to every part of the field where there's no easy answers for defense. And you're left to just uh, drop everyone back or confuse and blitz him, right? So – he seemed in the spring game, he seemed pretty comfortable with some of those RPO concepts that Shark likes to run, like that that glance RPO with the little glance route kind of deep slant behind it. And it, you know, he like you said, it he's not really acting like an inexperienced quarterback from from what he showed. I know it's just the spring game, but he looks like somebody that could come in and do what you said, get the ball to these skill guys with confidence. But Really, what my question was going to be is, would it shock you if Hudson Card was the starter in the first game? Like, do you do you think hundred percent it's yours? I would be surprised. Okay, I'd be surprised. The, I've been uh, waiting to ask you that question like the whole offensive breakdown. So, <laughs> I mean, honestly, when he went into the transfer portal, and then Sark goes and meets with him the first night, and then he's like. It's like, oh, he's considering Texas Tech, Texas, and Texas A&M. <laughs> Especially when he's like, he was considering Texas A&M. I was like, is he though? Or is that just the perfect name to mention to make sure Stark tells you exactly what you want to hear, you know? So, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like he's probably the guy. Um, he, um, I, Whenever I see um, fans of other teams kind of self-soothing on Twitter about Texas's talent, it's usually the, it's usually something like, "Well, the offensive line is going to suck anyway," as though Texas's offensive line was good last year when Casey Thompson was still through, you know, still had open receivers and was had open throws every game. Um, and then the other one is, "Well, he hasn't played football in over a year," and blah blah blah. He started for Riley Dodge at South Lake Carroll, freshman, sophomore, and junior years. So he actually got a lot of those high school, like you mentioned how comfortable he looked throwing RPOs. He had got a lot of really high level reps in high school for somebody that, you know, skipped their senior year and spent it redshirting at Ohio State, watching Cole Stroud. Um, he's not as like deficient on reps as you would think. Because, right. he played, because he played so early in high school. So um, I don't know what question I'm trying to answer with that, but there you go. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, it's a solid point. And Ian, you might have you might have just perfectly segued us to the defense because you mentioned fans self-soothing on Twitter, talking about trying to find holes in Texas offense. But I think what, the, what people are also looking at is Texas's defense. We know they had some issues last year kind of stopping the run. Just kind of like we do at the offense, what's your general overview of this defense? I, I know I saw you, you've written a few a few different things about them maybe going more stand-up edge, no edge. Like, 
they did some four down linemen in the spring game with everybody in their hand in the ground. What is the identity going to be of this defense? Um, not that. I think that was just, you know, spring game basic. <laughs> my, my big questions for the defense are mostly with like staff cohesion. I can, uh, I, I've been looking back at the Washington defenses and figuring out how Pete Kwiatkowski would uh, problem solve with different personnel sets at Washington. And so he's no stranger to some of Texas's issues where they have like, um, maybe their best edge players are kind of undersized or oversized. Um, they don't have any like perfect NFL looking defensive ends. But I think that after a year, I think Kwiatkowski can figure all that out. I'm a little more concerned with things like um, the fact that Steve Sarkeesian hired most of the defensive staff before he hired Kwiatkowski. And it didn't seem like things meshed super well in year one. And then in year two, this solution by Sarkeesian seemed to be to just throw the match that is Gary Patterson on that fire as the special assistant. And uh, on the one hand, it's like an obvious value add. He has, he's downloading all of his scouting information on the Big 12 to the Texas defensive staff. That's like invaluable. Gary Patterson knows most Big 12 offenses better than the players running them know them, you know. But he's also Gary Patterson who's used to getting his own way and is, you know, just kind of a character. Yeah, that's, and, yeah, Ian, I, I mean, that's, sorry, Ian. Well, it, it just, it just paints the obvious picture of like, like, let's say they have some early season struggles, like is, what's Sark going to think about, well, I got Gary Patterson just sitting around, should I just put him in charge, which I wouldn't feel great about as an in-season deal, because A, I think Kwiatkowski deserves a little more time, and B, if you're going to make it Patterson, I would rather Patterson have installed his own defense. And then you, I just, I don't know what Patterson is going to be telling Sarkeesian during the season. If he's like, I don't know if he's like, if he's happy to just take a couple of years to be chill, maybe help him beat TCU and get them back for firing him, you know, or whatever they called that situation when he left. Or if he's like, if he's already thinking like, you know, I'd love to be defensive coordinator at Texas and the SEC and go head to head with Saban and Kiffin and whoever else. So to me, that, <laughs> To me, those are much bigger concerns than any personnel issues that Texas has, if I'm being honest. So Gary Patterson is the the key to Texas's defense one way or the other this year, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if he takes over, I'm kind of – I mean, honestly, I'd be curious to see how that goes. It's not like I – I don't really – I don't uh, – it's just drama, I'd say. Drama is my concern. It seems like it's keeping you up at night. <laughs> yeah, you your your whole body language changed when we switched from the offense to the defense. Like there's <laughs> something going on here that we need to get to the bottom of. But I mean I, I'll say from from my perspective like the Gary Patterson hire is something that like it felt like exactly what you said and I'm I'm thankful that you said it. That it is a match on the fire. It may work out and I expect it to work out, but from a drama perspective, oh yeah, I could totally see that two large personalities in that defensive room. Um, well, it's not two large personalities, though, is the thing. 
is that Pete Kwiatkowski is like notoriously differential. Interesting. Like, a, like Washington was afraid they were going to lose Jimmy Lake. And so Pete Kwiatkowski was like, okay, I'll stop being the defensive coordinator. You can promote Jimmy Lake to defensive coordinator so he stays. That's and, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's like a notoriously – now the problem, is, though, the concern that we have is – is he too deferential? Right. Because Sarkeesian is very busy on off. He's like calling plays. So you need kind of one voice in the defensive room that's willing to be the loudest, which Gary Patterson is surely that. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, ideally, that voice is your defensive coordinator. So I, you can see why I'm like just kind of apoplectic about I don't know exactly how all that's going to work out. And if like Gary Patterson strong arms it hypothetically, does Pete Kwiatkowski like okay with that, or is it there's is there like a big problem? If Gary Patterson even takes over, is like because Texas does not run Gary Patterson's defense at all, um, and so there's just you know there's just there's a lot, it's a lot of it's a lot of ways. This is classic Texas. You're like, how do you screw up all this talent? This is how you screw up all this talent is if you have all this like drama and egos and ambition fighting each other so that the talent never gets effectively deployed in a cohesive manner. Well, I mean, let's, let's run through some guys to look out for start, you know, starting on the defensive line, um, an interesting unit. We walked, talked about the edge rushers, but who are some people to look out for, for the average, you know, Oklahoma state fan who may not know a ton about Texas. Well, so they got Alfred Collins, he played like a sort of defensive end position last year. I think Oklahoma State might have been his first start, and he was pretty terrific. Uh, if you go back and find him, you'll see him do some crazy stuff. Um, at one point, they like stun him inside, and he got like a free run at Spencer Sanders. And um, then Sanders threw a pick, and then Mike Gundy was like, you're not throwing the ball anymore today. Um, Okay, although I mean, I guess that was every Oklahoma State game, so I don't know if that stands out to your to your listeners. It was it was a lot, a lot of running. Um, yeah, he's good at it at least. Um, Alfred Collins, big one. Um, they have a lot of big, powerful defensive tackles. Theoretically, last year it was not because the edges were so bad. That it didn't matter that they had big monsters inside because teams would just go around them. Um, this year, it should matter if they've figured out how to shore that up, which, I mean, they should have. That's been the focus all offseason. They knew exactly what was wrong. So if it's not fixed, that'll be pretty, pretty damning. Um, DeMarvion Overshone is kind of the big X factor. They're talking about using him as a pass rusher on the edge. I think he's still technically an inside linebacker. They recruited him as a safety. He came into Texas like 6'4", 205, like Kendall Daniels. Very Kendall Daniels type skill set coming in too. Uh, they moved him to linebacker because they needed a linebacker really badly in 2020 and he was the most obvious guy because he's so tall. He's played inside linebacker for two years and not been very good at it. Um, because it kind of moves fast for him. Edge might be awesome for him. He's probably like 225 now. 
225 to 230 so he's a little small but um they really liked how he looked rushing the passer in the spring so they're going to try to simplify his job and get him on the edge as much as possible they should maybe just make him the full-time like jack edge player i don't know if they'll do that or not one way or the other him maximizing his uh, athletic talent is like one of the main bellwethers for this team this year on defense. Well, that loud crashing noise you heard was Dustin uh, falling out of his chair at the thought of Kendall Daniels at 6'4", 230 at the edge. So thanks for that. Big time Kendall Daniels. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad his name got thrown out. Thank you, Ian. This has been a great show just for you doing that. So. Yeah, 100%. Um, so you kind of segued us right into the rest of the linebacking core, though, with Overshawn, you're talking about playing the edge. Who who steps up at linebacker? Who's kind of uh, the guys we need to know at that position? So they have Jalen Ford as the main, like, Mike linebacker. He played some against Oklahoma State last year, actually played pretty well. And so they're like, oh, thank God. And then he was, like, bad the next <laughs> week against Baylor. But he's, like, a third-year player this year. He seems to be really figuring it out. One of the only natural inside linebackers Texas has had with any talent for like forever. Just, it's just one of those things for Texas. It's like, how, why do they suck? They have so much talent. Well, they don't have any actual inside linebackers. Kind of an important position. They never have it. Uh, they have one at least with him. So that's a huge win for this season. Uh, watch him get hurt in the fall. Uh, they got a five like a 5'9", 5'10", 215-pound dude from FCS named Diamante Tucker-Dorsey. Is that the James Madison guy? That's him. That's him. Okay. I don't know much about him. I just saw that, though, that they got. I watched him against uh, North Dakota State because I figured if he can hang against North Dakota State, there's probably not a Big 12 team that's better at downhill running than North Dakota State, if we're being honest. Um, And he held up pretty well in that game. He's ironically not that fast or uh, agile in coverage. He literally is like a stand him up inside linebacker, just happens to be tiny, relatively speaking, bigger than me, obviously. Um, so I kind of wonder in the fall if they're just like, if they just end up moving over Shone to the edge and using that guy in his place, weak inside linebacker. I have another guy named David Benda, uh, who looks kind of like an Oklahoma State kind of guy. It's like 5'11", 230, ran track in high school really fast. Um, just kind of looks like a good modern linebacker, like a Sean Lewis or... Ooh, nice pull. Uh, well, I can... I was going to pull another one out. I mean, yeah. like Kid, you're talking to a guy that wrote a book about Big 12 football. Like, oh, it's just Sean Lewis. I mean, that's the way to my heart. I mean, I, I love he's Sean kind of, Lewis. He's kind of like Malcolm Rodriguez, too. You know, these guys that are like short, but thick and fast. Benda's like that. He had to just catch up from not learning linebacker because of the pandemic and not learning linebacker because Todd Orlando. And, you know, so that's all the Texas linebackers are kind of like that. They have, a, they have a bunch of guys that are coming along they can move over shown that's better we'll see if they can pull that off or not i still don't know if i believe in over as a true inside linebacker but i'm definitely intrigued by him as a edge 
for a uh, inside linebacker that is an inside linebacker gets that gets washed down to the edge regularly. Ian, before we let you go, I want to round out the secondary, obviously. Um, who are the guys to look out for there um, with, with this group? So they got a big corner from Ohio State named Ryan Watts. He looks solid. Um, Deshaun Jameson is still not graduated, so he's around. That's crazy. Um, he's never really – he's an awesome athlete, but he's not ever really put it together. Um kind of now or never for him. Jediah Barron is probably the best cornerback on the team, but he plays nickel when they're in the nickel. Mm. Um, he was a, I think he was, yeah, he was a sophomore last year and he flashed a lot. I think PFF graded him as the best corner on the team, which is exciting, except that those PFF grades are pretty shaky, honestly. So you take it with a grain of salt. You sound like you sound like our friend of the pod, Adam Lunt, talking oh, about the dude. PFF. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, he knows what's up, man. Uh, I talked to a Kansas guy once that said that they're one of the highest rated safeties ever one year in the whole country was this Kansas guy, and this Kansas writer, not him, another a Kansas writer was telling me like he just loves this guy, and I guess he does. I guess he executes his assignments what they ask of him properly. But it's like he's got him graded like he should be like a first round pick. <laughs> and it's just, you know, anyway. Uh, Texas has a couple good veteran sort of safeties, and Jaron Thompson and Anthony Cook played nickel last year. But they're all just kind of hoping that they, they have this former track star freak downhill athlete named Keaton Crawford. And um, they moved him to safety from corner this offseason and they're kind of hoping that the light will flip on for him at the new position sooner than later like he's kind of a natural he's he looks good at the spot but you know it's just a position where you can't play guys that don't know what they're doing or who get lost because the name of the position safety kind of reveals the it's just it's better to have a slow guy who doesn't make mistakes than a super athlete who does make mistakes so but they're hoping that either in fall camp or by some point in the year, he'll be ready to, to steal a job. And then they'll have like a uh, kind of athletic safety that Texas is more known for. I'd say those are the big names. All right, Ian, we really appreciate the offense and defense breakdown. Before we get out of here though, you got to give us your, I mean, I guess you don't have to, you could say no if you want, but your season win loss prediction for texas can you give us a win number and kind of how you see the season going and we're going to hold you to it blast it on twitter and come back and retweet it if you're wrong so no <laughs> no I'll, I'll so flat now. the oklahoma fans have already warned me about all the receipts they're collecting on twitter so I, I don't, i'll give them a couple more i mean of, of all the fan bases, I don't know why they're collecting receipts. They got a lot of outstanding checks out there right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love when people on Twitter are like, they're like threatening you, <laughs> like filling your mentions with garbage. And it's like, you know, if I had an unhealthy attitude towards this, that would be very concerning. But I've, I've, I'm pretty, you know, pretty teflon with that now 
some of the some of the friendly fire I took from Texas fans over the whole Casey Thompson thing last year. I'm pretty much like impervious now to Twitter criticism. So, <laughs> so here's some let's print out some receipts. Um, I it feels like a 10 win team in Big 12 scale, but they play Alabama, which Big mm. 12 teams usually don't do. Um, I think they can make that game competitive. I think there's like a possible worlds where they win that game, but probably they lose, right? Um, and maybe and maybe by a lot. So I think that kind of just limits your ceiling when you have to play like an almost an automatic loss in the preseason. So I think nine and three. Uh, I feel like at Oklahoma State, it's the most likely loss in the Big 12 play. I'm not just buttering you guys up. I, to me, Oklahoma State's like one of the more likely Big 12 contenders. Playing them on the road is rough. Um, and it comes right before Texas's bye week. Yeah, that's that's eight straight games for Texas before they come to Stillwater. Or seven straight, and that's the eighth. That's a long stretch with some tough teams on the way to Stillwater. Yeah, then they get the bye week, and then they get Kansas State. Yeah, nice. Those are like the two best pass rushing teams in the Big 12, Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Um, so I kind of wonder if they like go into Oklahoma State, and then if it's like, okay, we got to play this freshman lineman or whatever. The bye week maybe is where that finally happens or where they finally get somebody up to speed, you know. So, yeah, I just see Oklahoma State as, the, as a tough one. And then – It'd be hard. I see them in the Big 12 championship game. I think Texas is the strongest favorite in the league. Um, not like a shoe-in to make the Big 12 championship game, but like maybe the most likely. That probably sound crazy to some people. But uh, the thing I said earlier about like Quinn Ewer's arm and all the skill talent, and then you still have to worry about Bijan Robinson. I just feel like they're going to overwhelm so many defenses with that and be scoring – 35, 40 points every game. Um, but yeah, I could see them dropping. They they have that, then they have the bye week, and then they have a road game at Kansas State that's obviously pretty tough. And then, um, but they have the bye week beforehand. So that's that seemed like that'd be the road game to steal. And then, you know, Baylor at home, Iowa State at home, West Virginia at home are all, it, it wouldn't be crazy to lose one of those. If they lose more than one of those, then the season is probably not going to go the way they want. So, um, yeah, I think nine and three in, in the Big 12 championship game is my is my pick. And then once you're there, uh, you know, a lot of different things can happen. Like maybe your starting center and tight ends are all dinged up and your running backs out and you lose. Mm. Mm. Or in your starting quarterback, those four picks. Wonder that can always happen for sure. <laughs> well, hopefully that one doesn't happen. But I wouldn't wish that on. Well, anyone. you named everything else that happened, so I figured I'd just throw out the only other thing that went poorly. That well, year. I think that one happened because the other things. Happened. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I do think, Ian. I know you said that's probably going to rub people the wrong way. Your prediction, but I do think you're pretty fair in your Big Twelve breakdowns not to not to just uh toot your horn right now but i really like to i really like the visitor previews you're doing right now i thought your oklahoma state grade was really fair i know i know you're a little bit higher on oklahoma state than some people are but um 
I do I do appreciate those breakdowns. So we we enjoyed we enjoyed reading that one. But Kate, did That's you have anything perfect. else? I really don't. We we don't have enough time to get into the Casey Thompson drama. I liked Casey Thompson, <laughs> but uh, we'll just leave it for the next time. Uh, Ian, where can folks find you and your work? Um, I have a Substack now, so uh, definitely inclined to point people in that direction. Absolutely. It's called America's War Game. Um, I have free posts there occasionally, but most of it's paywalled. Um, right now, I am previewing any and every team with a fairly realistic chance of winning the national championship. And I use a few of my own little pet theories and metrics for trying to evaluate which teams have uh, truly difference making championship winning talent. Um, I did the West. I skipped Oklahoma state. Sorry. I was going to ask when, when I can expect that preview. I'd love yeah, to read well, it. I mean, come on, that's not going to happen, but um I'll do the Southeast tomorrow, the Midwest, and then the SEC West gets their own deal uh, just because there's so many teams in there that, you know, things break right are really good. So that's a good place to find. That's where I'm writing like a lot of my theories and big picture football stuff. And then uh, inside Texas, I covered, you know, Texas and then peripherally the Big 12. Um, or people can find me on Twitter at Ian underscore A underscore Boyd. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you stopping by, Ian. Hope you have a great rest of your evening and uh, can't wait to catch up with you during the season. Texas is a, the interesting program in the Big 12 this year, um, and I, I love the way you broke them down. I think it was totally fair. So, Dustin, if you have nothing else, we'll send Ian on his way. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, maybe I'll be back to preview uh, Texas-Oklahoma State Big 12 championship, yeah? Oh, I'd love that. that. We could do fun. that. We could do that live. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Appreciate you, man. See ya. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. Engine.